Coop, good to see you. I hope you had a good Easter. We have a key player in the Gates situation tonight, so people are going to want to see that. Always good to see you. I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. Whether you celebrated Easter or not, may the seasonal promise of rebirth and renewal fuel better days for all of us. Now, I was supposed to be off tonight, but we were able to bring you something special, and it is critical to a big story. In fact, both big stories that we're following in the news tonight, the George Floyd murder trial and the scandal surrounding Congressman Matt Gates, offer very rare and surprising aspects today. Gates, as you heard Coop say, wrote an opinion piece denying he's paid for sex, denying he's uh, slept with a minor as an adult himself, and vowing to stay in office. While he was busy invoking drain the swamp language and playing the victim of the media, including me, what was very surprising is what he barely mentioned, the extortion plot against him. He said that was what this situation is really all about. Tonight, you may learn why he's gone quiet about the extortion case. In a TV exclusive, we have the man accused by Congressman Gates of extortion. That man's name is Bob Kent, and he tells a very different story about his dealings with the Gates family and about how serious the allegations are against the representative. That's coming up, and you will want to hear what he says. But first, we already saw and heard something shocking today, and it happened the George Floyd murder trial. The accused, Former officer Derek Chauvin's own former boss, the Minneapolis police chief, the man who fired Chauvin and three other officers the day after Floyd's death, actually took the stand and called their actions completely wrong and illegal. In a moment that I've never seen by another top cop in a trial, he refused to give Chauvin any cover for the nine and a half minutes Floyd lay dying under his knee. The chief testified Chauvin absolutely, that's his word, violated the department's neck restraint policy, and he called what we have all seen on that tape, murder. Once there was no longer any resistance, and clearly when Mr. Floyd was no longer responsive and even motionless, to continue to apply that level of force to a person proned out, handcuffed behind their back, um, that that in no way, shape, or form is anything that um, uh, is by policy, is not part of our training, and it is certainly not part of our ethics or our values. How big was that for the prosecution? How will the defense deal with it? We'll take that up. We also got the first real look at what this case could come down to, which is the science. Prosecutors are trying to get a jump on any doubts by calling an ER doctor to the stand who worked on Floyd and got briefed by paramedics when they brought him in. Did did they say to you for purposes of caring or giving treatment to Mr. Floyd that they felt he had uh, suffered a drug overdose? Not in the information they gave, no. Did they tell you in the information they gave uh, that they felt that Mr. Floyd had had a heart attack? No. The takeaway there is not an overdose, says that doctor, and not a heart attack. 
That's also key because a heart attack can happen when there's a blockage problem around the heart, which the defense may argue. Now, here's what the doctor found instead. There was no uh, obvious significant external trauma that would have suggested that he suffered um, anything that could produce bleeding sufficient to lead to a cardiac arrest. And so uh, based on the history that was available to me, um, I felt that hypoxia was one of the more likely possibilities. And, and hypoxia as an explanation for his cardiac arrest, meaning uh, oxygen, oxygen insufficiency. Correct. And, and doctor, is there another name for death by oxygen deficiency? Asphyxia. Lack of oxygen, says the doctor, who declared George Floyd dead, or as Floyd put it so many times, I can't breathe. Let's turn to the law enforcement and policing specialists, the better minds, Elliot Williams and Anthony Barksdale. Good to have you both. Elliot, how big a deal for the prosecution is it to have the chief of police saying it wasn't right, it was illegal, it was murder? Well, Chris, even starting with the fact that the chief of police is even testifying in the first place is itself significant. Very rarely does someone at that level of the police force ever testify in a criminal trial. So number one, uh, that's profound. And then, of course, the fact that he laid out what the standards and policies were for the Minneapolis Police Department and said that they were clearly violated is itself significant. Now, Chris, as you and I have talked about, this is early. The defense still has to present their case, and we're just seeing the prosecution's case here. But I have a hard time believing that the defense could at any point put forward a witness as uh, certainly not the, the chief of police or a witness of that level of stature. So this was this was big. Um, we never know how these things are going to come out, but that was incredibly credible, uh, incredibly believable testimony today. One of the attempts of pushback will almost certainly be, look, they had to do this the way George Floyd was. They had to use force to actually de-escalate. The prosecutors anticipated that and the chief took it on. Listen. Sometimes de-escalation, again, includes the use of force, right? The use of force can be a de-escalation tactic. I was, and Counselor, I was thinking of your example of displaying your, your, your weapon. And so I don't have a, a lot of knowledge in terms of physical force being used to actually de-escalate a situation. Uh, but the threatening use of force or threatening verbally, that's, I'm more familiar with that. See, that was the defense trying to say maybe they had to do this. The chief gave them no help. Significance, Elliot. Well, uh, you know, it's the question that didn't show up there at the very, very end the prosecution comes back on redirect and says, well, look, yes, sometimes you need to escalate to de-escalate, but you actually have to be safe, right? And so a police officer can't escalate a situation um, without actually paying attention to the safety of the, of the circumstances around them. So for instance, one of the examples they used uh, today was you might pull out a gun, which is itself an act of escalation, but you're not gonna fire it at the person as a means of just making everybody right. safe. You know, you might use a neck restraint, but you're also not going to use it to a point that 
uh, you put the person's own right. life in danger. So it was it was a poorly used analogy by the defense and the prosecution exploited it when they had a chance to come back and clean it up. You've gotten several head nods from a man who knows the job very well at the highest level. Uh, former acting police commissioner in Baltimore, Anthony Barksdale. Always a pleasure to see you, sir. Um, Thank you. Seeing the chief on the stand, is that something that you can ever remember seeing in something of this magnitude? Chris, I'm saluting the chief. Uh, his testimony was magnificent. Uh, the prosecution is is guiding their ship very well. The defense, I think they need to look for a plea deal. Um, I really do. Um, the, the, the effort to try to make the chief appear that he doesn't know the street, doesn't know the job, it backfired today. Uh, now, on the medical side, uh, Commissioner, I wanted your take on this. Uh, obviously, the prosecutor is worried that there will be doubt spread, that Floyd was not as strong inside as he appeared to be outside. Uh, And they had an ER doctor there and they were really trying to get to this idea of what, you know, what could have killed him? What would have made his heart react the way it did in this situation? Let me play a piece of sound about this. Was there anything that you looked at uh, to determine uh, whether or not the cardiac arrest was likely or unlikely to be related to Mr. Floyd having had a heart attack? A lot of that is based on the history that we received from paramedics. There was no report that, for example, the patient complained of chest pain or was clutching his chest at any point um, or having any other symptoms to suggest a heart attack. That information was absent. Commissioner, the ER doctor left open, rightly so, the door a couple of times on the idea of information I was presented with, information I knew at the time. Do you believe the defense has an opportunity there to say, but if you had known that his heart was like this, and if you had known that he had all these things in his system, might you have felt otherwise about it? Chris, we could guess at that, but what we do know is that Chauvin kept his knee on the man's neck. That's what we know. Let's use the body cams. You and I talked about this before. The body cam is a wonderful tool. Let's look at what we all saw on that body cam. So they can try to play the shell game and say, oh, this caused it or that caused it. But I am a firm believer that it was the knee on the neck for nine that caused Mr. Floyd's death. So if the officers respond, Commissioner, we had to. Excited delirium. Excited delirium. They teach us about this. The drugs, the drugs made him almost superhuman. He was going into a state where it took all of us just to keep him calm. Chris, they got handcuffs on him. Handcuffs. When you're cuffed, it's over. If they wanted to move to hobble him, then so be it. Get the, get the leg uh, shackles there. Hobble him. But that's not what happened. When, the, when he is cuffed, when a suspect is cuffed, you have won. All he had to do, if, if they couldn't control him at that point, is hit that radio, say, Sarge, we need you up here. Can I get more units up here? That's it. These excuses, these games that they're playing, I'm sick of them. Let's get this trial done. Let's get this conviction. One of the officers mentions excited delirium. He was a more junior officer, Elliot. You do a little homework on it, you get the Brooks Institution. The Brooks Institution did an analysis and said that the idea of excited delirium 
has been disproportionately applied to black people. First used in 1985 to explain a series of sudden deaths in cocaine users while primarily <laughs> in police custody. What is the force of it? Well, Chris, again, uh, the oh, only commissioner, let me get Elliot. You get last <laughs> word. Go ahead. Uh, well, the only people who seem to be believing that are, are the defendants here, uh, or at least the defendant here. Every single individual who, um, you know, eyewitness testimony is inherently unreliable, but every single eyewitness, now you have how many, of, I think 21 people have testified in total in this trial, not all of them eyewitnesses, but every one of them is saying remarkably the same thing. And so, and no one is seeing this question of excited delirium. So yes, the defense ought to put forward their best case to the extent they can, but it's just, it's flying in the face of reason. This is, as the commissioner is saying, every individual who's testifying is saying pretty much exactly the same thing. And all of these failures to care for Floyd, all of these um, these questions about his condition, they're going to weigh on the reasonableness, which as we've talked about, Chris, is the legal term here. It's were the actions reasonable? And the mere fact that, um, it's clear that the officer's conduct, or at least it's appearing that the officer's conduct, is so outside the bounds of reasonableness, starting with the commissioner's testimony and on through. It's just hard to see how the defense is going to overcome that. Again, they just have to win over one juror, but it's hard to see it from here right now. Commissioner, uh, last quick word to you. Uh, excited delirium. We started training for that in the, in the 90s here in Baltimore. If somebody's complaining and they're cuffed, you sit them up, you get them up so they can breathe. It was clearly, clearly excessive force, and they did not do the right things in this horrible, horrific incident. Elliot Williams, thank you, as always. Commissioner Barksdale, always a pleasure. Good to see you. The best for the season. Chris, thank you. Be well, both. All right. The Matt Gates scandal has been so bizarre, and until now, confusing. Who is Bob Kent? Who is the man accused by Gates as being the real wrongdoer here? Remember, that's what Gates was telling you. Not so much in his op-ed today. Really, you got to focus on this guy. It's not me. It's really about him. So here he is. Why is he going on TV if he's in so much trouble? What's his deal? Where did he learn all these details about what Gates may really be facing? His first TV interview. Next. We have a Cuomo primetime exclusive for you now, an insider in the Matt Gates story talking for the first time on television. A man who had details of the sex crime investigation that still aren't public and told the Gates family before any of it had made the news. He's also the guy the congressman now says was extorting his family. Bob Kent. Who is he? He's a former Air Force Intel officer. He says he's risking his own career that depends on him flying below the radar by even putting his name in the middle of this. But he has nothing to hide. Let's get after it. Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, let's just take it head on. Did you believe that Mr. Gates would give you money for your cause in finding Bob Levinson? because he thought you could fix the case against his son. No, when I met with Mr. Gates, he was very clear that he was not interested in funding the project, but he did offer to have his son contact the president's office for us. And when he said to you, we get extortion attempts like this all the time, do you believe that Gates believed 
that you were threatening him with details of what you knew that would be exposed if he didn't help you? Uh, no, because I didn't have any details about his son. I stopped him immediately and explained that this was not an extortion attempt. And I said, look, this is a legitimate offer to help rescue Robert Levinson. I showed him the two videos that I took last summer or that my team took last summer of, of Robert Levinson. I explained how we tried to rescue him in, Ju in July and said, look, I said that operation fell apart. I lost four people. I said we had no budget. But we believe there's an opportunity to get them out from the top down this time, but it would cost quite a bit of money. Now, you put a lot of this in writing, which would have been very dumb, especially for somebody with an intel uh, intelligence background, if you were trying to extort. You say the FBI has contacted. Uh, have they made it known to you that you are under investigation for extortion? They have not. They brought me in to discuss the situation and I am cooperating. When you say the situation, what situation? They asked me about the meeting that I had with Don Gates. Did they also ask you about what you knew about the congressman and his behavior? They did. And I said, told them the same thing I told you. I just heard rumors about the congressman. I didn't have any specifics about his behavior. Mm. I, you know, I hadn't seen any videos about him or pictures about him. But we, I did hear rumors uh, about his activities. I'll ask you about that in a second. Let's go to the direct uh, proof here so you can explain it. Mr. Gates, text message from you. Uh, I would like to talk with you immediately about the current federal investigation and the indictment that is about to be filed against your son. I have a plan that can make his future legal and political problems go away. You sent that text message? I did, yes. Why did you put it that way, uh, that there was an indictment about to be filed against his son? And why did you tee up the legal problems? Matt Gates was in need of, or is if the allegations are true, he's in need of some goodwill from the government. I'm in need of a sponsor to, to fund the, the rescue project. Saying the indictment that is about to be filed, um, what if people take that to be an implied threat? There is no threat. I, I don't have anything to do with the indictment. I don't have anything to do <laughs> with the investigation into Matt Gates. What was your point? in telling Gates's father about the, what you had heard about the trouble that his son was in? You could have just went to him and said, help Bob Levinson. If, you, uh, if we find him, it'll be good for your son. You could have left it at that. You didn't. How come, Mr. Kent? I wanted to meet with Matt Gates. Uh, believe that he had the ability to raise the money quickly. And yes, I did put that in there as a teaser because, as I said, uh, Mr. Gates was in need of some goodwill. And we've worked with multiple people over the, over the years, and all of them have been in similar situations. I mean, a lot of them have been you know, facing indictments or all looking for goodwill for the U.S. government. One of the things that you have circumstantially without getting too in the weeds going against you is that one of the guys who you were working with on this and approaching the Gates has a criminal record uh, for being a fraudster. Why would yes. you be associating with somebody like that? So I was contacted by David McGee in October, and he asked me to meet with somebody, uh, with, with Stephen Alford, because Alford uh, wanted to help with Levinson and believe that he can get him out. Now, after the, the rescue attempt fell apart in July, I had no contact with Dave after that. You know, I said, sorry, it didn't work out. We went forward. He wished me you know, best of luck in my future endeavors. 
And then when he contacted me in October, he asked me, is it possible to rescue, is, Le- is Levinson still alive and is it possible to rescue him? So I went back to the network and I asked a question and they said, yes, we think he may be alive, but you can't do it the way you did it last time. You have to go from the top down this time. So, and when Dave vouched for Stephen, that was good enough for me. I've worked with Dave for a long time. Now, I know, Mr. Kent, that you find some of these questions frustrating. Um, but you do understand Gates has put you in a pickle here because he has taken the situation of your soliciting help with the father as the indication of what the scandal really is here, that people are missing the ball. It's not about him. It's about you and your associates trying to extort him with behavior that you know isn't criminal. Your response? My response is... (laughs) If Mr. Gates really believed that, he could have kept this quiet and gone to the FBI. Instead, he exposed the Levinson family to additional grief, and he's he's capitalizing off that and trying to direct attention from himself. Hmm. In the entire time I've been involved in this, I've never once uh, met with the Levinson family, spoken to anybody from the Levinson family, and the agreement that I had with David McGee was that our work would remain confidential and secret, uh, specifically not to cause any additional stress to the Levinson family. Robert Levinson is a constituent of, of Matt Gates, and, <laughs> you know, uh, the congressman just made the Levinson situation worse. If he is alive, he, he is directly impacting uh, his predicament right now. In a letter that you sent, you said the FBI became aware of compromising pictures depicting Congressman Gates and an election official involved in a sexual orgy with underage prostitutes in Maitland, Florida, during an unrelated investigation into political corruption and public integrity in another criminal case. Subsequent information has resulted in Congressman Gates becoming a target of a widening investigation into serious underage sex trafficking, political corruption, public integrity and other criminal allegations. Gates makes this seem like it is much more narrow than you suggest here. How confident are you in what you were told? So <laughs> you, you can never be confident of rumors. Those are just rumors that are you know, rampant in North Florida among the legal and journalist communities. Pretty specific. That's what I was hearing. I hear you, but like, were you surprised that you had such detailed information of a federal investigation before it was ever made public? I don't have any information on a federal investigation. Those were just rumors that were circulating. And again, for the audience, why did you pass them along to Mr. Gates? What was your intention? You said it's a teaser. What does that mean? I believe that Don Gates had, I believe that gave Don some motive to want to work with us to try to get back Levinson. The person that gets back Levinson would get a tremendous amount of credit from the U.S. government. I was, you know, wanted to stay anonymous and thought maybe Matt Gates could be the face of this thing. Mm. But I needed to raise uh, a large amount of money in a short period of time. And again, Don Gates is a person that has that ability. Gates says his father was wearing a wire. Are you concerned about what he has on you on tape? I hope his father was wearing a wire. You hope he was wearing a wire? Yes. Were the federal authorities interested in your description of what was going on in terms of what you knew about the investigation? They did ask me what I knew, and I, I don't know anything about the investigation. Everything I knew was based on rumor. 
Hmm. Um, what do you want people to know if they are assessing the Matt Gates situation and your name is coming up uh, as a possible mitigating factor for him? What do you want people to know? As a possible mitigating factor for who? Like Matt maybe Gates? it's not so bad for Matt Gates. Maybe these guys were out to get him. Maybe that's uh, a big, as big a part of this as anything else. Uh, we weren't out to get Matt Gates. We were out to rescue Bob Levinson. And there was no attempt to extort. There was no threat. There was no demand. There were no threats. There were no demands. The opposite. When I left, the last thing I told Don Gates was that you'll never hear from me again. I'm not a threat to you or your son. I won't talk to the press. I'm not going to say a bad word about him. I thanked him for his time. The next day, he he sent uh, me a text, you know, re-offering to have his son contact the president. I, I texted back, you know, uh, no, thank you. And uh, a week later, he was calling up to meet with David McGee. Hmm. Have the federal authorities told you, don't leave town, asked you to surrender your passport, uh, you know, told you to stay in contact with them on any kind of regular basis? No. Do you anticipate uh, any problems coming your way because of your dealings with the Gates family? I do not. Other than having to come on a show like this. Bob Kent, I understand and I appreciate you taking this opportunity. You didn't have to do it. Uh, And I'm thanking you for doing it to help give some clarity to a very confusing situation. Uh, One thing that I think is important is that Don Gates sincerely, I mean, he knew that I was sincere and that I believe that Levinson is alive. I showed him the videos. I explained what happened in the past. And he, knowing that, they still went forward and did what they did and exposed the Levinson family. Understood. And again, thank you for taking the opportunity. Thank you for having me. All right. So that's Bob Kent. Who do you believe? Him or Gates? Which may feel the bite of the law sooner? And will Matt Gates's party save him from the jaws of political fate? We're going to bring in a better mind who knows this story well. There he is, Smirkanish. Next. <laughs> now, remember, as we've said from the beginning, two things can be true at the same time when it comes to Matt Gates and this scandal. He could have a legitimate investigation going on as to whether or not Bob Kent and these other men were trying to extort him or the DOJ felt compelled to look at it because they had a congressman saying that's what it was. And at the same time, he has real problems of his own subject to the findings of an investigation, which I have always said and criticized politicians who said otherwise is the basis for our understanding. You have to know until the investigation comes out. You don't know. All right. Now, let's get a great mind in here. Michael Smirconish knows the law. He knows the story. In fact, he is the one who told me you should take a look at Bob Kent. I think there's something for him to say. Smirconish, you were right. Um, I find him credible on these points because he'd have to be crazy to put these things in writing and come on TV and stay the same and do the dance with the feds if he was trying to extort these people. I think it was a phenomenal interview. And I think that your cross-examination did viewers a service and actually did Kent a service because to, to put him through the paces is to let people really draw determination of their own in terms of whether they find him credible. Here's what I think might be going on. Kent is caught up in a search for Robert Levinson. He has reason to believe that the former FBI agent has not passed, as the Trump administration apparently told the family, but he's alive and being held captive in Iran. 
And as he's working on that, Gates gets himself into trouble. The two have nothing to do with one another. But Kent sees opportunity in Gates's father being a deep pocket who could write a check. Mm -hmm. He's willing to give Matt Gates the glory if, in fact, Levinson comes home alive. Meanwhile, Gates sees opportunity in trying to conflate all of this in the minds of Americans, goes on Tucker Carlson, points a finger at the guy that you just interviewed and hopes that people can't keep their eye, you know, on on exactly where the three-card Monty lies. But it seems to me that one really doesn't have anything to do with the other. Kent has nothing to do with whether Gates is involved in some sexcapades. Right. But he does have a lot to do with whether or not you should pay attention to anything else. One thing that I'll highlight in the text from him to Gates, I accept your theory. I have a plan that can make his future legal and political problems go away. Is there any legal reckoning of where that is an implicit threat? No, I don't think so. An implicit threat would be I have photographs of the the young woman with the hula hoop who's naked and I'm going to drop those unless you do X, Y, or Z. I don't see any element of extortion in this. Look, this, this Project Homecoming script that your guest had a hand in devising, if you and I went to Hollywood and pitched this thing, they'd say it was too fantastical. Right. But, you know, there's a story here they were trying to say, Matt Gates, you can be politically rescued if you're the hero in Bob Levinson. But I don't see an implied threat if Gates doesn't go along with it. Now, in terms of implied threats... Those photos uh, that Matt Gates supposedly showed on the floor of Congress to colleagues, he got ratted out by his own. We know they weren't Democrats because if he had shown them the Democrats, they would have ratted him out a year ago whenever right. he showed them. So is this the first Great time point. that we're seeing the Republicans actually go bad on one of their own? Not the QAnon lady, who, by the way, QAnon, a big thing is sex trafficking, wild ideas about sex trafficking. She's back in Gates who's accused of sex trafficking. I don't know how that makes her a QAnon loyalist. But do you think that Gates may have pushed the bar or pushed the line too far with his own party? I don't think anybody's going to throw him under the bus. Not within well, his own party. Well, somebody ratted on him about the photos. Stand. That could allow them to do an right. end run around Someone, the entire I, investigation and get him out on an ethics violation. Your, your observation is excellent. You know, you wouldn't think that he would be crossing the aisle to show whatever photographs may or may not exist on his phone. I think Republicans are, are content to let it happen, but do not want to have fingerprints on it. Why, Chris? For fear of the base. They don't know. This guy's been so close to President Trump. They don't want to antagonize the base by being someone who played a role in taking down a GOP, you know, flamethrower. That's a fair point. Uh, And as Michael and I have both been saying from the beginning, you know nothing until that investigation gives us the facts, unless they can be independently verified. Any politician who asks for action before the investigation is playing politics. But you know what? Silence is deafening right now from Trump, the mentor uh, for his protege, Matt Gates. Let's see when he weighs in or if he weighs in. Smirconish, thank you for the tip. Thank you for the analysis. Appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Tonight... We're learning interesting news about COVID. That variant first spotted in England is now in every state across the country. We are still in a war with the virus. People are gonna get sick, they're gonna die, and they don't need to. However, there is encouraging news in this fight. Next. 
All right, listen up. More than 4 million Americans got a COVID vaccine on Saturday alone. That brings the average to more than 3 million shots a day. Nearly 19% of Americans are fully vaccinated. More than half are over 65. So we can catch up to other countries who started off right, like Chile, which has vaccinated about 20% of its population, and Israel, fully vaccinating more than half. But we also see what happens if we stray. The UK began vaccinations a week before the US, but only about 8% of the people there are fully vaccinated. With the good, there's also the bad and the ugly. Experts say the more dangerous UK variant is now in every state here. More than 15,000 cases are fueling a new surge. For the fourth straight week, COVID cases are up. The big hotspots, Michigan, Minnesota, Massachusetts. What does that mean for another surge? Unclear. At this time, we really are in a Category 5 hurricane status with regard to the rest of the world. In terms of the United States, we're just at the beginning of this surge. We haven't even really begun to see it yet. I don't think it's going to be a true fourth wave. I think we've probably um, delayed the point at which we can get this behind us for the summer, but we haven't forestalled that opportunity. I think with the rate of vaccination that we're uh, having right now, we're vaccinating, as you said, 4 million people a day. I think that's probably going to reach 5 million people a day. Look, here's what's clear. Rising cases are being driven by younger people. We are learning that many outbreaks in young people are related to youth sports and extracurricular activities. According to CDC guidance, these activities should be limited. I understand that people are tired and that they are ready for this pandemic to be over, as am I. Please continue to hang in there and to continue to do the things that we know prevent the spread of the virus. Problem is we developed the opposite COVID culture, right? We thought the kids were less vulnerable, so we were less restrictive on them. You've seen the scenes at the beach. Venues are getting more crowded. Too many of these people are still without masks. Spring travel is likely making things worse. The TSA is seeing new records, screening more than 6 million people since Thursday. Remember, the CDC says even if you're vaccinated, travel should be avoided. New research offers added perspective on why we can't be reckless. Nearly 40,000 kids have lost a parent because of COVID. Black kids disproportionately affected. No one, especially a child, should deal with the reality of irreparable loss. Isn't that enough for us to do our part? Do you know who is suddenly a fan of cancel culture? Rich Rumplicans. And who just got into a fight with them? Corporate America. Since when? Chris Saliza says there is a truth that's not being told here. What is it, Saliza, with your good looks? Next. Quote, economic blackmail to spread disinformation. That's what Senator Mitch McConnell is calling the choice by some U.S. corporations to oppose the GOP-sponsored law curbing voting access in Georgia. His comments follow MLB, the Major League Baseball, Uh, decision to pull its all-star game out of Atlanta this summer because of the law. On the surface, looks like corporate America has fallen out of love with Republicans. But looking deeper may reveal a truth not told. TNT, because it's dynamite. Chris Saliza is here. How so? (laughs) Okay, so... Yes, it is. It is clear there is some break between corporate America and the Republican Party, long considered allies. No question there's some break there. We saw it after uh, the January 6th uh, riots, Chris. We saw it on immigration with Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not the Chamber of Commerce's version of a Republican. 
But let's not get too far over our skis here. Because why? Yes, Delta eventually supported the MLB uh, pulling out. But that's only after they face significant pressure. And it's not clear what, if anything, it's going to do to affect their corporate giving. Uh, Coke, um, all the corporations that condemned January 6th said they would never, their, their corporate PACs would never give money to members of Congress who voted uh, uh, on the Electoral College, who voted to, to object to it. My view here is that you're getting what you're getting from corporations is they're doing the PR thing. They're under public pressure. They're doing it for that reason. They're not doing it out of the goodness of their heart. They're doing it because they come under public pressure and they do it. Watch what they do, not what they say. And I'll combine that cliche with this one. Follow the money. Let's Mm. see how much money winds up being given or not, Chris, to these candidates. Because remember, that is the way these corporations buy their access by their window into lawmaking, lobby. I'm skeptical that corporate America and Republicans have made a final and complete break, though I do acknowledge the Trump version of a Republican is very different than, let's say, the Paul Ryan version of a Republican, which is a lot more business friendly. Well, when Biden, if and when President Biden tries to raise the corporate tax, the only home these businesses have is the Republicans. Mitch McConnell that, may be talking the talk right now, but he's not going to walk the walk of raising taxes on businesses. And that, that to me is the thing. It's, it's like we can talk about the corporations and Republicans falling out of love with one another, and we should. It's a, it's a perfectly fine storyline. Truth not told in that, though, is rubber meets road. Follow the money. And when that happens, you're going from 21% corporate tax rate to a 28% corporate tax rate to fund Joe Biden's infrastructure plan. Trust me, corporations, uh, bottom line oriented corporations are not going to say, well, there was that immigration thing and the January 6th stuff and and MLB. No, they're going to look at their bottom line and they're going to say, wait, our tax rate is going up 7 percent under the one guy and the one party. And the other party is fighting that infrastructure bill and saying that they shouldn't raise the corporate tax rate. You know, I, I hate to be so bare knuckled, bottom line oriented, but that's how politics and business works. So give it a minute. Hit pause on the corporate America and uh, and the Republican Party falling out of favor. Let's see what it looks like in three months and six months as Joe Biden's trying to get that infrastructure bill with that big corporate tax uh, hike included. Because Mitch McConnell is going to be on the side of corporations then. And my guess is corporations going to be on the side of Mitch McConnell. Is there also a TNT, a truth not told, uh, that cancel culture is bipartisan? That, uh, you know, yes, yes, yes as, as is often the case. The right does a better job of beating the left with its own stick than the left does of beating the right with its stick of choice. But aren't we seeing the Republicans very much in cancel culture mode right now? I mean, I always thought the most ironic thing about Donald Trump putting sort of wokeness and cancel culture uh, up front in the party, which you've seen continue even if he's not president, is no one called for more people to be canceled, more corporations to be boycotted than Donald Trump. I mean, that that was his M.O. It was he would tweet out. I think we both this, got canceled that. by him, didn't we? Didn't he come after? Right, both exactly. Of us? <laughs> Italian Chris is getting canceled. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, that's the thing. It's 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 only cancel culture when it's a thing that you think should be part of the culture. Right. It's all situational. It's a good call. If it goes for my kids baseball team, the umpires are biased. If it goes against my kids baseball team. 
Not that much changes from middle school and high school, Chris. And this is a prime example of that. It's good when it works rhetorically for you and it's something you don't like. It's bad when it works against you politically or something you disagree with. It's just not that complicated. I mean, we just heard Senator Mike Lee, Republican Utah, uh, going about corporations are punishing their political opponents. Uh, Although I don't really know that Republicans are really corporations, political opponents. I don't buy that. I think it's a PR thing. Neither do I. I, Uh, But then Georgia does what? It pulls its fuel discount from Delta for what they did. That's right. That's a Republican and, governor. That and did. Mike Lee, and by the way, Mike Lee, who you just mentioned from Utah, tweets today that MLB should have, uh, Major League Baseball should have its antitrust exemption reexamined by Congress. <laughs> That's I mean, also canceling. <laughs> TNT on, with CC. The truth not no. told. TNT because it's dynamite. So, Liza, thank you. We'll be right back. Thank you, my friend. Time for the big show. CNN Tonight and the big star, D. Lemon. Two big blows in two big stories. The George Floyd murder case had the chief of police saying this was wrong to the point of illegal. And what we saw was murder. And the misdirection play by Matt Gates, I think, blew up on this show tonight. (laughs) I think Bob Kent is credible. And I don't see anything in his suggestions to the father that would qualify under any legal reckoning of extortion. Listen, um, yes, I with that story, I like to proceed with caution. I believe in innocent until proven guilty. We've already established that. But there are two different things. So I don't know. The investigation of what Gates did, you got to wait for the facts. Right. We don't know them. The whole thing about the extortion thing. Extortion. Yes. One might be fact. This extortion thing. Fugazi. Yeah. Well, We'll see on that one. I mean, listen, I think that it's it, shouldn't he just shut up right now? Shouldn't he just be? He quiet? has. By the way, I reached out to him. I wanted him to come on the show and answer uh, the real questions in a, in, a, in a real place. If he wants real credibility, the lawyer said he's not talking to anybody. He's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. I mean, if he hasn't been on the state run TV, which now, by the way, well, he's he went been, on. He's not. Well, yeah. How'd yeah. <laughs> you like that? We can get a chance to talk about that interview. So, Chris, talk, that's like today when I ran into you at breakfast and then you're like, breakfast? I don't remember seeing you. What are you talking about? Well, it was Tim and I were at breakfast. You remember Tim? Um, uh, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <A> signature face. <laughs> I, was, I was watching that in my office. You know, I have this little, you haven't seen it yet. I had this little treadmill under my desk, a walking treadmill. I almost fell off of it as I was watching that interview because it was hysterical. Tucker's like, uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. He kept trying to pull him in. Two of us who are on this screen who I mean, look, accused. the shame for me, you know, the, the carnival aspect of it aside, was that was the chance to ask this guy the questions mm-hmm. to kind of set up where we are and where we should be with that kind of access, and we didn't get it. Um, however, 180 degrees on in the George Floyd murder trial. Yeah. And I keep calling it that because, one, Derek Chauvin, while he is the accused former officer, the name isn't as known, and I also think it takes the eye off the importance here. George Floyd was a resonant point, as you well know, and have spoken beautifully about it for many months, over a year now. But to see a chief of police on the stand... Your boss. Rare. Uh, Going yeah. against what the officers did, really rare. Because Saying they it was stand wrong and illegal, yeah. never heard it before. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, it's obvious what it was. I mean, it's obvious. And, you know, I... Um, I was on our morning show and we talked about this earlier um, last week, late last week. Okay, yes, he is entitled to a vigorous defense. As you know, you're an attorney. He is entitled to it. But we all know 
We all know what we saw with our own eyes. We know what was going on here. We know it's not in the training, but we know officers do it, some of them, and they don't think that they're going to get caught. And I think that Derek Chauvin did not, obviously didn't think he would get caught. Um, and then didn't even realize the seriousness of it. And uh, maybe it didn't matter to him. If you look at his demeanor on his own body camera video, it, it was shocking. But it was a window into the world of how some of these officers operate and how they treat people they're supposed to protect and serve. There, as I said last week, I don't think you were on. I think it was Friday. I don't think you were here. When I said, who was it protecting and serving? He protected and served no one. Who, what it, who or what at that scene did it protect and serve? Someone who is accused of passing a, a, a phony $20 bill. Okay, is that worth someone's life? Is that worth what you did, standing on that man's neck for, or kneeling on that man's neck for eight minutes and 29 seconds? Eight and a half minutes. It's justified it in one situation yeah. where the officer's life was greatly threatened. If he did in handcuffs the force he on used. the ground screaming, no, I'm I saying, can't breathe. That, that the only mama? time that it's okay, yeah, is to use lethal force, which is what it wound up being. Yeah, um, is when the officer or someone else's life was in grave danger. Yeah, if it hadn't happened, I still think though the science part could get a little sticky. Yeah, and they only need one juror to be confused enough to think. He's not or she's not beyond reasonable doubt. Yep. So listen, uh, I got to go because I've seen you way too much today. I did. I swear. I went to breakfast and some and there Chris was. You should have seen Don almost hit my truck twice while parking and then believe he didn't know it was mine. That's not true. I was like, oh, my gosh. And then now got to see you again. That's enough, Chris, today. I'll see you. I still love you, D. Lemon. (laughs) I love you, too. I hope you had a great Easter. I'll talk to you later. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.